Hello and welcome to the Hiring Enablement Podcast. My name is Gavin Spears, CEO of Solutions Driven, a global recruiting partner that guarantees right first-time hiring. In today's episode, we're going to talk about building more strategic TA functions and moving from the how and the, the when to the why and the what. And I'm delighted to be joined by Andre Murisan, Head of People at DataPow. Andre, welcome to the podcast. And if you could give a short overview of who you are and your career to date. Hey, hi to nice to meet you, everyone, and thanks for having me. Uh, long story short, I guess I'm originally from Romania. Uh, been living in Budapest in Hungary for the past seven, almost eight years now. Uh, I'm currently leading a small team, like a two team or two people strong team at Data Power, which is a data engineering and data science uh, consulting company. But previously, I was leading. Uh, teams in Shapers 3D, which is a SaaS computer-assisted design product company. And before that, in I was leading the global tech recruitment team of WISE, uh, which is the fintech unicorn coming from Estonia, uh, which I guess everyone knows about it in the UK. So um, I would say that's about it for the past eight years or so in terms of uh, experience. Before that, I've worked mainly for corporate environments, everything that you can imagine from the days when Nokia was still the biggest phone provider in the world, uh, did people ops for them, and then worked for an oil and gas company. Uh, and then uh, before joining WISE and my startup journey started, I worked for an aerospace and railway uh, industry company from, from Germany. Um, I guess that's it now. So, Super, thank you very much for your time, Andre, and looking forward to, to having a chat. So I think, as I said, um, today when I was keen to focus on the, the kind of more strategic TA uh, function and how, you know, organisations are moving from what we would call the how and the when to the why and the what, as you've, as you've mentioned on previous conversations that we've had. I mean, I think, first of all, um, what do you think was the role of TA teams, if anything, in building what has been almost unsustainable companies over the last few years, you know, the, the doomed to fail frenzy that we've seen in terms of, you know, overhiring and scaling in organizations. Any any perspective on that? Yeah, I mean, of course there is, like we have the tendency as uh, to like victimize ourselves in TA many times now. So when COVID hit, uh, then TA functions were among the, the most impacted ones. Now, when this uh, wave or layoffs uh, hit, uh, we are again among the most impacted functions because if companies are plateauing, not hiring anymore, then of course this comes with consequences on us. Uh, however, I would try to reframe this and to, to see it a bit from a, from a different perspective. It's yes, indeed, we are hit, but it's also a good opportunity, like a window of opportunity for us. Uh, but in order to build something or to make something out of it we need to ask ourselves the hard question and as you said i do think we had a role into this uh yeah. we we did contribute it to this friends you know uh, we never asked ourselves like uh the why and the what questions we always focused on when and how so we were just taking hiring plans as given never challenging them and just going into optimizing for how we can hire these people you no know? it was a Free, free for all money market. Every single company had very ambitious hiring plans uh, and they were just throwing numbers and money at candidates. Mm -hmm. And we backed this machine. We 
like encourage this frenziness uh, and we did so by like looking or like in general measuring the impact of our work uh, in terms of uh, outcomes not uh, uh, sorry in terms of outputs uh, not in terms of outcomes so we were mainly measuring speed of hiring days in the process size of the funnel number yeah. of hires we never focused on outcomes like the impact of the hires that we make the attrition rates the engagement of the people that we hire we never bothered to sit down with the hiring teams and challenge them on what's the impact expected from a certain position why is this position needed like uh, what's the scope of this position in the organization like is it really needed mm -hmm. uh, how we are going to measure the success of a certain hire so me included now many times we were just taking for granted the headcount plan that was given to us, which was always crazy ambitious, higher, like many people yesterday, if possible, mm -hmm. uh, without challenging it. And I think this was one of our biggest flaws or like biggest, the, the most important way in which we enabled this friendliness. Yeah. Um, and yeah, one thing led to another, no, like, uh, we contributed to scaling up on sustainable organizations. And then, yeah, when when money were not free for all anymore on the market due to the macroeconomic context, uh, yeah. like the dominance pieces started to, to or like the whole the thing started to fall apart, impacting us very hard as well now because companies, not only that we were not hiring, they were letting people go. And mm -hmm. of course, they would never start with, product functions and engineering functions they always start with with other functions and the ta function was there uh, and was very uh, badly hit so so yeah i think that's if you ask me i think that's the main way in which i think we contributed to to this and very very clear um and i think just on that you know from that craziness of you know how do we hire when do we hire to why and what how how have your Let's call it hiring tactics changed or transformed to align to this kind of new new way of why and what to then really to support that control of hiring and predictability of hiring as well. I mean, I, I'll mention one more philosophical thing and one more operational thing, and then I will go a bit more specifically into different tactics that I mm -hmm. observed, uh, like uh, for the past one year, two years or so, like evolving or changing versus the previous mindset. So. The philosophical thing, I think everyone was into, I don't like to say lying to themselves, but like everyone was going with this mantra that we only hire top talent and we hire A players and the best players on the market. And yeah. this was very much Netflix driven, no? the, the Netflix culture. Uh, and that's great. Uh, but to a certain extent, the consequences of this was like encouraging the phrase frenziness in a in a way in which like every single company was just constantly increasing the size of their ta teams on one mm -hmm. hand to try to yeah. find this top talent yeah and on the other hand constantly increasing their salary bands compensation the way they position themselves on the market in terms of branding and employer branding and it went to the extreme that we clearly started to 
like put in place unsustainable things, like for example, startups that they were barely getting any funding, like competing in terms of salaries with big tech. Yeah. Uh, or we went to the extreme in which we started to portray a different company, a different reality than what candidates are finding when they join the company in our employer yeah. branding efforts just to attract this talent. And because everyone was super focused on hiring top talent, hiring top talent, but we need to acknowledge that to a certain extent, like like in sports, no? Like, uh, like in any type of sport, like the the stars, the Messi's, the Cristiano Ronaldo's, the Michael Jordan's are like very unique and they are not like a constant of the market. So most of the times we hire around the, uh, around the average uh, or around the, the mean of the market. And we need to focus a bit more on on that. I'm not saying hiring for average uh, players, but yeah. like there is this distinction between, and it's very used in sports, between uh uh, ceilings and floors, no higher for ceiling or higher for floor. And ceiling is how good one can be in their best day. And the floor is exactly the opposite, no, like uh, how bad one can be in their worst day. And and I think we should, we were normally optimizing for ceilings and looking for unicorns. And I think yeah. we should optimize a bit more for for resilience for reliability, for consistency. So a good player that is resilient and that is reliable, even in their bad, in, in their worst day, can be pretty damn good. So yeah. we should look for high floors, not necessarily high ceilings. And of course, any combination of high floors, high ceilings, or high floors, high ceilings could be very, uh, uh, very useful. So th this is more of a philosophical thing. And then from an operational perspective, I think, one thing that I observed uh, that is happening recently, and, and I think we should keep it, we really start to be more data informed. Analytics start to be more important. And I think this was one of the problems of the past few years. Like everyone was saying that is data driven, but barely anyone, anyone in TA was really looking at their data and at their funnels. And I've seen countless recruiters who were running clearly under-optimized or clearly non-functional recruitment processes yeah. without realizing that they do that. And they were, as a consequence, keep doing that. But yeah. if you don't change anything in the input, like why would the output Nothing change? changes, so, yeah. Yes. So they were, I don't know, like, Hiring people that were staying just for three months or six months with the council or not hiring the right people versus their culture or like how the organization works or operates or like having clearly unscalable costs in order to, to hire and stuff like that. And often us, the recruiters, were not even capable or able to identify this and to acknowledge that this is a problem because we, we barely look at these numbers. Like the only thing that we cared about is hire as much as possible, as fast as possible. Yeah. And we were just cutting corners around this or we were just throwing money into it without really looking if we scale up a, like something that makes sense as a process, for example. Mm -hmm. So these are just two things, like one very yeah. philosophical, no hire for floors rather than yeah. ceilings. And the other one, take data 
for 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 like take data seriously not just say that you take data seriously but really take it seriously because it can really make a big impact now in terms of tactics uh, one of the things that i observed as i said which is related with this paradigm sh shift in terms of philosophy like hire for tomorrow not just for today so mm -hmm. uh, hire not purely for checking a list of skills but hire mm -hmm. for potential as well so hire people that can grow, that can be stretched. However, don't go to that extreme that you'll only look for, as I said, like for super high ceilings. Because means, yeah. as you scale, most of the times, 80% of your headcount or 90% of your headcount, in order for you to scale a sustainable business, needs to be super reliable, super consistent, even in the and super resilient, even in their worst days. Yeah. So you'd rather have this than some strikes of geniuses, but yeah. like very inconsistent, very non like non reliable players, very non resilient players, but that can have some uh, great days. So in general, hire more for potential, of course, yeah. uh, but also match this or balance this uh with resilience reliability and uh, consistency these are key and this is like something that i've observed that is missing nowadays big time because these things are not the things that take your eye when you run an interview yeah. process yeah but these are the things that actually help scale like a successful organization mm -hmm. in general you also need to find and i, I observed this tendency that people look more for versatility nowadays. So mm -hmm. when you don't have, like just put yourself in the shoes of a hiring manager. Yeah. Up until two or three years ago, you were able to hire whoever you wanted just because yeah. you thought that you need someone. Nowadays, yeah. maybe you can make one or two hires in a year in your team. Yeah. So you would like for those people to be more like generalists rather than highly specialized in something of course if you don't need some super niche expertise in a specific certain domain because you're building a new feature or you operate in an industry which is super niche but mm -hmm. in general you will optimize for more generalist profiles for more versatile profiles for profiles who are open to touch and break things and who don't fear to do that uh, or mm -hmm. for people who say who don't say i don't know i don't know yet yeah. It's like uh, the, the mindset. And mm -hmm. so this is uh, another shift that I've seen. And I think we should go into hiring and into interviewing with, with the mindset to look for these people. Um, then another thing that I've observed as an at an organizational level is people start to be more strict and to double down again on performance reviews. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think for many years, performance reviews were blamed for everything bad that happens in an organization. There was even a trend that every single company was dropping performance reviews and switching to something else. But you can't build a highly performant team or a very successful organization without accountability. And mm -hmm. it's very difficult to build accountability without some sort of a performance review. I'm not going to debate now in this chat like how performance review should look like, but you can't build accountability without some sort of performance reviews. And I observed that this starts to be again like 
uh, seeing that companies are doubling down on it. Of course, it can be a tactic as well, like they are just trying to decrease their headcount in a different way than just yeah. like uh, layoffs. But on the other hand, when you can hire less and when you need to reduce costs and the size of your teams, then you really want to make sure that you have in that team people who make an impact and who are not just getting it easy or navigate under the radar. And last but not least, one thing that I think is critically important as well, and I observe that companies start to talk more and more about it, is doubling uh, doubling down on scaling up managers. Mm -hmm. Uh, Many times, and like leadership and managerial skills in general, uh, many times I observe that we hire people only to be in the same place or to go back to square zero in six months or in nine months or in 12 months because we're hiring them in a team where they are not properly on board, where they are not properly managed, where they are not enabled, they are not given autonomy, they are not given empowerment, they do, and and then they don't stay, of course, because if, if the assumption is that you hire top talent or very high potential people or very smart, versatile, resilient people, stuff like that, like then you need to pair that on the organizational level with what you offer them. Now, so you cannot expect that someone who is super smart, super versatile, super autonomous to be fine, to be micromanaged, to be given zero empowerment, zero autonomy, zero onboarding, zero enablement. So, and I think we need to balance this. Uh, And I observe that organizations are starting to take more serious this discussion about who should be the manager of this team of that team like historically in most companies it was like whoever was the oldest person in the team like in terms of like when they joined or whoever was the best engineer tech from a technical perspective in the team just got the promotion to be a manager of the team but mm-hmm. you are killing many times their tech potential yeah. Because many times themselves, they end up hating the job or they don't want the job. Yeah, And you are also killing the team uh, because a truly managed team can very easily go from a highly performing team to a like underperforming team yeah. and you can deal with attrition and low engagement and all these things. Uh, so, I mean, no, no issue. I, mean, I think you, you that you've covered my, my next kind of train of thought was, you know, around how hiring managers have evolved from that kind of, you know, ready, ready, aim, fire, you know, type uh, approach um, to decision-making and, and to become more strategic partners. Now you've covered, you know, some of the areas there already, but in your experience, what, what competencies do you think are now critical for hiring manager success? Look, like, as you said, it's obvious even from what I said before that in order for this to work for the next few years and for companies to scale in a sustainable way, mm-hmm. it needs for the, like, it's a must for the TA function and the hiring managers or hiring teams to work in a partnership. I know that we always said that it's a partnership, but let's face it, often it was, TA was seen as a, uh, as a support function. And this is a function of how hiring managers were thinking about the TA function, but also a function of what we were doing or not doing or providing them in terms of added value. Uh, Because as I said, if 
we only optimize for the how and when, then of course we've been seen as a support function. If we never challenged, if we never uh, added value, if we never uh, come up with, with something that is more than just sourcing tools and hiring and speed and like, uh, so it needs to be a partnership and I see it happening more and more. And I think in these partnerships, uh, partnership managers or hiring managers have a, a very important role as well and they need to change their mindset as well. So, mm -hmm. and I think that there are good signs that this is happening already. And like some things that I'm seeing and I think are critical already are like things like managers start to be more involved in the hiring process, more concerned, yeah. more knowledgeable and also mm -hmm. more involved in the hiring process. And I see this at different stages, depending on the organization size and like their culture, like they get more involved, uh, involved into sourcing or maybe into pitching or into, they are more adamant and more clear and straightforward about setting up expectations. Often mm -hmm. we were hiring people just based on a headcount plan and based on some keywords, oh, it's an iOS developer, or an Android developer, a Java developer, and then we are just using some keywords and then just hiring. And then often we were in a position in which we are not able to answer candidates. What is this team doing? How we are going to measure their impact? Like how we would expect them to deliver in the first three months, six months. And this, of course, like created an environment in which the only way to convince people to join was mainly money-driven. Yeah. And also it was many or oftentimes set us up for failure because people were coming and discovering a totally different organization than what was pitched or presented to them high level in the selection. So long story short, managers, not only that they need to be more involved in the hiring process, but I see signs that they are doing it already. So I've seen managers more involved into uh, creating super genuine or like writing down super genuine, legit uh, context setting type of job descriptions. I've seen managers who are super involved with sourcing. They are aware that every single good candidate gets pinged by 10 recruiters. Yeah. So they know that the response rates are not high. So often they offer now to ping the candidates on behalf of the, of the of the recruiter in order to maximize the response rate. I've seen managers more open to be involved in the early stages of the process, in the pitching stage. Like yeah. often we we have like an intro call with the candidate and then many times the next step is some sort of a test or take-home test or study case or something. And one of the milestones where we have the highest dropout rate in the process in general in recruitment is this stage, you know, like the stage of the test or take on test because candidates are very early in the process and are many times not engaged enough already from mm -hmm. like a 30 minutes intro call yeah. to take the time and to take the, to go the extra mile to work on the test. And if they have several tests or several processes ongoing, then they just prioritize based on some criteria so if you if you're not doing an awesome job in the intro call then probably you'll get deprioritized and yeah. managers realize this and they start to get involved in the intro calls yeah, yeah, yeah. to pitch and to give more context about the team and about what they want to build and how they want yeah. to build it 
and also setting up expectations. They talk a lot about their team, how they will measure success. And, and, and I think this is critical. I think this is game changer. And I think it's super important. I would rather have less, 10 times less candidates, but 2x more engaged. Yep. So I would rather have 10 candidates, but super engaged than having 100 candidates in the funnel, but yeah. barely engaged or yeah. yes. So I think this is critical because that mm-hmm. this influences in so many ways the whole process and even the success of the person if they end up joining. But the process, like pass-through rates between stages, how they prepare for interview, their chances to pass interviews, offer acceptance rate, and all these things. Then second thing is, as I said, managers need to become more conscious about hiring. No? Showing, as I said, more care for sourcing, for process customization, working closely with recruiters for the past or up until one or two years ago the mindset was okay this is the job description do your thing and like call me or schedule an interview for me at the end of the hiring process which is the fifth or the sixth stage and up until then they were just sitting in an ivory tower this is not going to work anymore if you want to hire top talent you need to be there through the process and you need to work with the recruiter how to optimize, how to mm-hmm. track them, how to set context, how to... And you cannot compete with money anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because absolutely. before it was like, just let's throw more money to them and we will hire them, no? Yeah. But now many companies don't have money anymore or mm-hmm. they need to optimize for their costs. So they will have to compete with lower salary bands than companies that are really well established or big tech and stuff, they can still hire even with those scales. But Mm -hmm. in order to hire, they need to do top-notch job in engaging candidates. And in order for that to happen, you need to have the hiring manager involved early on and work on customized processes, work on super cool study cases, take-home tests, uh, interview experience and in general. Mm-hmm. Um, then again, manager needs to be super conscious about scoping the role. As I said, it many times it was like just reshuffling an old job description, yeah, and just some keywords, just calling it the right title, whatever. Mm-hmm. Java developer, iOS, Android, doesn't matter. Product manager, B two B or B two C or monetization and that is it. So they are focusing many times for five minutes on the job description, like coming up with a, a fashionable title mm-hmm. and then just making sure that some keywords are fine mm-hmm. within the job description and then they were just sending it to the recruiter and then the recruiter was just posting. It doesn't work like this anymore. No, I agree. Job descriptions need to be context setting. Yeah. yeah. And Excellent. you need to to do an awesome job with this, no, in order to uh, to achieve this early engagement from the candidate. Also, I've seen a tendency, it might sound crazy, but candidates are more reluctant to change nowadays than they were two years or three years ago when everything was booming. And you might say, but why? Because their job might be at risk or maybe they were impacted by layoffs and stuff like that. Exactly that's why. Because if they were impacted by layoffs, they don't want to join a company where they are not almost 100% sure Mm -hmm. that once they join, their offer will not get rescinded two weeks later or 
their job will not or they will not be let go in their first week of onboarding and stuff like that. So yeah. they start to be really to do their due diligence way more than they were doing it before in the hiring process. Yeah. And candidates start to ask the real questions, the difficult questions that they were never asking two years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for that, you need to have a great job description, which is context setting. You need to have the manager there. You need to have the team there engaged. Um, and last but not least, I guess, um, two very short or quick things that I observed is managers start to be very open to having their role open for a longer period of time. Mm-hmm. Before, it was just hiring yesterday. Yeah. Hiring as fast as possible, as many as possible. Everyone was thinking, for example, I, I worked a lot with a tech recruitment, no? and everyone was, okay, how can we decrease the average time in the process from 45 days to 30 days, from 30 days to three weeks, then to two weeks. And then, yeah. like, we were cutting so many corners to optimize only for one indicator, which was speed of hiring. Speed because, of yeah. yes, because one of the best predictors of having your offer accepted or not accepted was getting with the offer to the candidate before anyone else. Yeah. So in order to have a high offer acceptance rate, the most influential thing that you could have done before was get out with the offer to the candidate before anyone else. Yeah. If you've done that, it was almost 50% when... offer. Like, yeah, it was like almost a done deal. Yeah. And then we were cutting so many corners that we, because we were just optimizing for this speed, like eliminating the take-home test or decreasing its scope, eliminating the tech round, eliminating culture around, and so on, so on, so on. But now that's not that important anymore Mm -hmm. because candidates don't want to go through one week's processes anymore. Yeah. Uh, if, of course, for some reasons they were not just recently impacted by layoffs or they have some difficult situation in their family or they have no savings or something like that, then, of course, speed is of essence. But most candidates, they take their time now in the process and they are really due diligent and they ask a lot of questions and difficult questions and they ask to visit the office and they ask to meet the team and they ask for a culture around if there is no culture around or to talk yeah. with someone from the people, which is... I mean, for me, it's like, great. I, I think this is the right mindset. But yeah. when you think take things at scales, if you need to hire hundreds of people and thousands of people, yeah. then this comes with some implications on the process. And yeah, the, and the last thing is, I think, uh, and yeah, th- that's why managers are open to keep their roles open for longer. Yeah. And also the other reason is because they can only make one or two hires. So yes. they started to be a bit more conservative which I'm not necessarily sure that this is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are less risk uh, prone before they were taking risks because they said mm-hmm. they, they knew that they can double the size of their team within the next 12 months. Yeah. So even if they were making one bad hire, it was easy like to like just cover that with the other hires and redistribute tasks and load. Now they can only make one or two hires yeah. in a team of five or six or seven people. Mm-hmm. So they really need to make that count because Absolutely. otherwise they will feel it uh, at the team level and it will generate other problems at the team level. Not only mm-hmm. that they will not deliver, but it will like demotivate the other people. Yeah. 
Um, and the last one, which comes kind of organically from the previous one, once they hire someone, I've seen, and I think this is the right thing and the right mindset, I've seen managers being more dedicated to onboarding and enabling people. Before, it was, again, many times or very often that they were just taking someone from the team and say, okay, like, just have some meetings with this person and just intro them to the team, and that's it. And then six months later, the person was resigning. Or, like, three months later, he or she was not passing the probation. Mm-hmm. And then no one, the recruiter or no, no one else in the organization bothered to ask why, so we just opened a new role, and again, we were, like, back well, to again. square zero and doing like yeah. this. And top-notch enablement and onboarding is 50% job done mm-hmm. of that person making an impact. Yeah, And managers started to realize this, not in the way that maybe the TA function would have liked them to realize this, but they are forced to optimize for top-notch enablement and onboarding because if they spend six months hiring someone, they don't want to lose that person after three months or they don't want for that person not to make an impact and not to settle mm-hmm. in well and not to scale up because it will be so costly to have to hire again or they might even not be able to hire again because maybe they lost their chance and they will not be given a headcount again. So they really put the, the work into, into onboarding and enablement. Okay, yeah. very long answer, but yeah, no, no, super, no, really, really good, um, super insights, Andre. Um, you know, this is this has been really excellent and and very insightful, just in terms of you know, I get, I guess that shift, you know, in in terms of you know how, when, you know, why, what. Uh, maybe just to close, um, you know, through your career, what would you say has been your biggest learning? Um, you know, both from you know the the people in TA journey you've been on, and any advice that you would give other peers who are listening to the podcast. Ooh, ooh la la. <laughs> uh, this is a tricky one. Um, don't don't build um, don't build a shell of a TA function. Build content and build proper content. So, for example, when you say that you are data driven or data informed, really be that. Really be able to show that with behaviors. Don't just say it because it's fashionable. Achieve a level at which you can look at the funnel without names, just with numbers, a simple funnel with numbers, and be able to say at least two or three things that are not properly working in that funnel, just based on looking at the numbers. If you are not at that level, then you're not data-informed or data-driven about your processes. Same goes with when you say hiring for top talent or hiring for potential. Be able to narrow that down very specifically. What that what does that mean in your organization and how exactly are you doing it? It's like the same or like to use an like a comparison is the same with the cultural interviews. I mean, if you go in a cultural round and you ask the candidates if they are humble, what do they? What do you think that ninety-nine out of one hundred candidates will answer? That they are humble. So the secret is not to go into an interview and just ask them if they are believing or leaving according to your values. The secret is to 
break down those values into really tangible behaviors and then test for those behaviors during the interview. And you should take this mindset into recruitment as well. No? So when you say we hire top talent, define what does top talent means for you. Yep. Is it only high ceiling people or is it only high floor people or is it a combination of both or like so what does it really mean for you and how and do that by understanding very well how your organization works and how your organization operates yes sometimes you don't need high ceiling people for the way your organization operates sometimes you need only high ceiling people considering the way your business model and the way but there is no one size fits all i think this is the summary no so don't build a shell of a ta team just because some terms and phrases are super fashionable uh don't yeah don't go for the one size fits all thing and the last thing and i think this is most important eight out of ten things that you do as a recruiter are invisible Mm -hmm. to your hiring managers and to the external organization keep doing them because otherwise you'll not be able to build a real partnership with your hiring teams and that's critical for you to succeed as a recruiter and to make an impact and for your organization to succeed but also don't be too humble or don't shy away too much about advertising them in the organization yeah yes i think this is one of my biggest mistakes through all my career Mm -hmm. that i've been always too humble about this thinking that people will see it or will understand fantastic um i mean i think from my point of view andre this has been super insightful i think the 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 way that you think your approach your your thought process to this is 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 really impactful uh, and i know the listeners of the podcast will will you know see see a lot of value in this so i think it's i really also think that the ceilings and the floor analogy is is excellent and one that i'm definitely you know going to to think about more you know as as we work with with different clients but i think in summary thank you to the listeners hope you've enjoyed the episode but most importantly thank you to andre for taking the time to be part of the the episode and you know giving some excellent insights Thanks a lot, Gavin. It was a pleasure. And yeah, uh, looking forward to to doing our next one, maybe. Uh, Excellent. So, yeah. Look forward Hi to it. Hi to all your listeners.